Blog Talk Radio. Yesterday's going to be this way. Be an honor, sister. Be an honor. We're just going to do it that way. Oh, well. Yeah, I raise kids. I know how it is. Belong to me, too. They're honor, too. All right. Well, praise God. It's good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Hang on. Boy, I need to take All right. Well, we got that, so let's get started. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Let's take out a songbook this morning. Let's turn to number 413. 413. The song is Love Lifted Me. Praise God. It certainly did that for me. I, will, I can identify with the first stanza. I was sinking deep in sand. Praise God. God came to me. Amen. Hallelujah. 413, love lifted me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stayed within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, not safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me, all my heart to him I give. Ever to him I cling, in his blessed presence live, ever his praises sing. Love so mighty and so true, merits my soul's best songs. Faithful, loving servitude to him belong. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Souls in danger, look above, Jesus completely saved. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea, billows his will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be me safe today. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Well, praise God. <laughs> Somebody find the off button. All right. Time for church. That's what that means. Amen. Alarms going off. Means time to be in church. 
Hallelujah. Glad you're here. Amen. It's good to see all of you here. We got prayer requests this morning. I know we got prayer requests this morning. Uh, Maria and all them coming in reminds me, well, I already knew that, but Scott, we just mentioned it a while ago. Scott is in need of prayer, and uh, I know he's watching this morning. He's listening in, and uh, I know all of you are praying for him. But just for his benefit, just so he can hear you, you, if you're praying for Scott, would you let it be known by saying amen? Amen. All right. There's a lady about to walk through these doors. Went to church with me. And there she is right there. Y'all, this is Miss Joy Grimmett. Miss Joy, Miss Joy has played the organ at, at First Baptist Church Buckner as long as I can remember. Amen. And, uh, and praise the Lord. She's got a daughter who lives in Paris. And uh, has been out visiting her daughter. Miss Joy, we're so glad you're here this morning. Yes. Amen. Amen. So y'all all get to know her here in a little while. But, but praise the Lord. Uh, like I said, we're praying for Scott. Others we're praying for. Got prayer requests? Miss, yes. Pray for me. I know that day Wednesday. Okay. All right. You got a dentist appointment. Others this morning? All right. Sure will. Yeah. Miss Brianna? Okay. All right. Somebody else? Okay. How many of you in here got an unspoken prayer request? Hallelujah. God knows the cry of your heart. You never even open your, open your mouth. Amen. And he's good. And he's a God that hears and a God that answers prayer. Amen. Let's be sure to lift up all those who are going through trials and tribulations around. I mean, we, maybe they're not a member of our church, but we've got extended family. Everybody's got somebody that's going through something. Let's remember to turn them over to God because until we pray, we can't do a thing about it. Yes, ma'am. And um, I just see Becky on Friday, and she was up there. Okay, absolutely. Let's lift Becky, Becky Cross up in prayer. All right. Anybody else? Go ahead and get her next hour. Tuesday. All right. He's ready. All right. I'm about to see better after that. You won't. <laughs> you will see a double. I'm, yeah, I said you are seeing double. How I many are you going to see once you get the other done? You get you straightened out. We only see one. I hope. I hope so, too. <laughs> hope so, too. Oh, that's all right. All right. <laughs> Praise God. Anybody else? Any other prayer requests this morning? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to bless us this morning. Robert, lead us to the throne. Lord, just for the preacher and the preacher of all the days of the
Thank you. 
that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm so thankful for the word of God. Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, that it just makes it clear and plain as can be that our works do not help at all. Our works only hinder. Our works only mess things up. And, Lord, we are not to rely on our works. Oh, God, help us never to think that we have anything to do with our salvation. Lord God, please help us understand. Always supplies the need. Lord God, please help us to get grasped what Paul is trying to say to us today. Lord, may it be a comfort to us. Lord, may we realize, Lord, that you are the one who truly loves us. And, Lord, so many people may come at us promising us the moon, but, Lord, none of us, none of them can give us eternal life, only you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray that you'll, that you'll meet with us this morning. Spirit of God, use me. Forgive my sins and cleanse me. Fill me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Pour me out, Lord, for your people and those who listen in your service this morning. Speak to hearts. Lord, do a work in us only you can do. We'll praise you. We'll give you glory for it. We'll be thankful for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hallelujah. It's good to be in church. Amen. Now, we I know you. most of you have been here, but just in case somebody wasn't paying attention, <laughs> Paul's, da- Paul's writing this letter down to, to the churches of Galatia <clears throat> because they have been, well, they've been invaded, so to speak, by Judaizers from, from Israel who've come in there into their, their Gentile churches and tried to convince them that in order to in order to be Christ, you have to be a Jew first. And so, in order to be a Jew first, you've got to you've got to follow the law. You've got to uh, follow all the requirements of the law, and you've got to uh, you've got to eat like a Jew. You've got to observe the the times and seasons, the, the the feasts, the festivals, all those things, and you've got to be circumcised like the Jews were. So all of these things were presented to the Galatians. And the Galatians, uh, these Christians, they seemingly have just their brain fell out of their head and they said, oh, well, well, of course, well, let's just do it this way then. And it's like they forgot everything Paul brought to them and taught them. Uh, it's like everything just zonked out of their brain and, 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 and they've gone a different direction. And Paul is Paul is in this in this short little passage we're going to look at this morning. I just want you to see his heart. If, if nothing else, you see Paul's heart. Paul's heart is breaking for these people. I can tell you, over the years, I've, I've pastored, oh, Lord, I can't even tell you how long I've pastored now. Uh, a long time, though, well over 20 years. I can't remember now exactly, but it uh, seemed like we started in 1996. So, yeah, uh, we're, getting, we're coming up on up on 30 years. And, uh, goodness, so I've been in the ministry almost 30 years. I had never done nothing that long in my life, but anyway, uh, except be here. 
But uh, but anyway, over those almost 30 years of ministry, I have seen people just do some of the, the most unconscionable things. I've seen people who 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 I who I stood next to on a front porch and heard them talking to somebody, pleading with them to come to Jesus, to be saved. And I have seen, I, and I know of some of those people now and where they're at, and it's just, I don't understand it. I don't, I can't wrap my mind around how that person who, who I know had a heart for souls to be saved, now, now acts as though God doesn't even exist. And they live that way. It, it just absolutely blows my mind. And not only does it blow my mind, it breaks my heart because I preach to them the same messages I'm preaching to you. I preach the same Bible, the same Jesus, the same Holy Ghost of God. I preach everything the same, and 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 it and it had an and it had an effect on them at that time. But it's like the world has gotten into their head, the world has gotten into their heart, the world's gotten into their life, and maybe some of them didn't really get it at all. Maybe they were going through the motions. I don't know. And Paul's kind of looking at this situation and saying, "It's a head scratcher, but it's a heartbreaker." heartbreaker. If you've got somebody in your family that come up in church and knows right, and yet they've chosen to go the other way, it breaks your heart. You don't understand why. It's like God was so good to you. Why did you have to try to change what God gave you into something else? And and that's the situation he's kind of in. And, and, and so let's go ahead and get right into it. Verse 17 and 18 Paul said, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I'm present with you. And I know y'all all got every word there. Y'all know exactly what he meant. So we can go to the house, right? Okay. So let's look at it. Let's break her down. Amen. I like breaking it down. Amen. I, 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 I'm telling Miss. I said to Miss Shirley the other day, I said, I, I feel like sometimes I bore y'all. I break this down so much. She said, no, no, no. It's helping us to understand it. So I, I, I like breaking these verses down to their bare essence and, and taking them apart and then putting them back together. And let's start with that, with verse 17. It says, they zealously affect you. Who's they? That, again, that's the Judaizers. That's who he's referring to. These are, again, these are, these are Jews come up from Jerusalem who claim to be believers. And I say claim to because I can't wrap my head around how somebody can truly believe on Christ and think you've got to do all those other things. That just that don't make a believer to me. That makes that, that, that's no different from that's no different from uh, somebody in some other denomination and saying you gotta you gotta speak in tongues as well as believe on Jesus or you gotta be baptized as well as believe on Jesus to be saved. That to me says that mess up that nullifies grace because we talked about it last week. Romans eleven six says and if it be of grace. Then is it no more works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of, of grace, is no more works. Otherwise, works is no more work. You can't mix the two together. You can't put oil and water in there. You can shake it in a bottle all day long. But when you set it down, it's going to separate because they don't mix, and grace and works don't mix. So they, those Judaizers, those people who are bent on messing up others' faith, <clears throat> he's saying to them, they're just flattering you. They're up there just talking nice to you and courting you. In contrast to your enemy, Paul, who tells you, he just said in the previous verse last week, he said, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? 
And he's saying, look, I know what I'm saying to you hurts because it's offending your conscience. It's offending your pride. It's offending you because you've chosen to walk right away from the grace of God in the bondage, back in the bondage again. You went from you went from knowing liberty into going back under the schoolmaster again when you didn't have to because you already know the truth. <laughs> he said, you just listen to people who, who are flattering you. Again, they're courting you. They're trying to take you away from the grace of God. And yet you call me your enemy because I'm straight, trying to straighten you out. And again, he, he's, he's, he's admitting to them, look, these people, they, they literally are courting you like a, like a man courting a woman to marry her. They're trying to, they're trying to be your end-all, be-all. They, they want to smother you. And, and by the way, legalism, in other words, you got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this to be saved. And if you don't do this, this, or this, you're not saved. That's legalism. And legalism, it, it usually comes wrapped in a cloak of love. You know, again, they don't come at you and say, well, if you want to be one of us, you got to do this. If you don't do this, 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 boy, you're in trouble. No, they come at you and try to get you in there, and then they, then they tell you all the things that they believe that are false. When I was, when I was thinking, when I was, Put this message together. I happened to think of something that happened to me back in my twenties when it was talking about zealously courting. And I and I, I hate to tell some of the stories because I know it makes Mama cringe, but I mean it's it's my past, you know. When I was in my twenties and I lived in Paris, I lived with some old boys and we was in a rock band and we wasn't living for God at all. And one weekend, somebody said, "Hey, let's go to Austin. Let's just go to Austin and hang out on on Sixteenth Street." Or 6th Street, not 16th, 6th Street. That's the big street down there. So we went to Austin, and uh, we was all musicians. So we, we spent some time down on the street, and we opened up a guitar case and stood out there, and I blowed a harmonica, and one of them played, or no, the other guy blowed a harmonica, and I, and I sang, and the other guy played guitar, and, and we and people come out, throw money in our guitar case, and all. It was fun. We had fun. But later on that evening, I had a guy come up to me and hand me a piece of paper, and he wouldn't leave me alone. He was so wanting me to come out and check out this place called Zendik Farms. He was with an outfit called Zendik Tribe. You say, who are they? They were a cult. That's what they were. They were a hippie cult, and they, you know, outside of Austin, and they, they, he, he saw me, said, man, I, we need that guy. And he would again, they just, oh, they're just wonderful. They just wanted to be my friend, and they were just trying their best to, uh, to, to convince me. Of course, I wasn't going, but. But they, they were, I just made me think of that, you know, and they're a bunch of lunatic nuts, weirdos, you know. They got, they got dreadlocks and, and probably walk around half naked. I don't know, but they were a bunch of weirdos, and I, I didn't want to be a part of it, but they were just pressing and pressing and pressing. Come, come, take some of our literature. Come, check us out. Do all this. And, and that's, that's, the way, that's the way these people were doing the Gentiles, okay? And, 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 and in the beginning, especially if, if, you are, if you're somebody who, Maybe doesn't have a lot of attention given to you on a normal basis. You might get overwhelmed by it, and you could be pulled in by it. You know, something, and I ain't thought about this for just now, but something I remember watching. It was a testimony of a former Satanist, and he was given testimony of how he got into Satanism, and he talked about growing up and just feeling like an outcast most of his growing up. He never felt like a city in nowhere until he met up with some Satanists, and they were a bunch of outcasts, and they never felt like they fit anywhere. So they drew him in with, hey, we're all different. 
where all everybody hates us, so let's gather together. And they found that's the same reason people join gangs. It's like can't find no family nowhere else. I'll find it amongst misfits and outcasts. And again, that's again that, that's 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 kind of the same vibe here because these these Judaizers they weren't preaching the right gospel. They weren't looking at Jesus the right way. They they couldn't see things clearly. They were the outcasts, and they want people to join them. But in these cults and these these groups, they use a they use a technique that's that's known as love bombing. Again, it's just you know, we overwhelm this person with our desire to have them in our group because we can't live without them. And they just overwhelm them with attention and support and affection, but it isn't sincere. That's the thing. It's not sincere. I don't sincerely love them. It's just a technique to gain somebody in. It's no different from one of these pyramid schemes, how they'll come at you. Oh, you got to get in here. You'll make money, boy. It'll be great. It's the same kind of thing. You get in here, it'll be wonderful. It'll be awesome. I tell you that, and again, they're, they're out there. They're out there in this world. And you need to be wary of them. I know if you believers, you're not likely to be pulled off into it, but you need to be wary because there are people around you who necessarily ain't grounded in the Word of God. <clears throat> but there's uh, there's cults everywhere. There's cults in this town, and y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, and I'll say this before I get off this point about how how about how they 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 came at them and they tried to overwhelm them and they kind of they tried to again love bomb them and. And all this stuff. And I'm gonna tell you, there's a, there's another group out there that does this. There's churches out there that do this. They'll they'll they'll, they'll, have, they'll get their eye on somebody else's church member, and they'll court them and try to get them out of that church into their church. Cheat stealers, that's what we call them. But they, there's people that do that. That ain't right either, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that in there. It's a side note. Won't cost you nothing extra. But he goes on to say, he said they would exclude you that you might affect them. Now, what in the world is he talking about? They wanted to draw the, the Galatian Christians away into their own little divisive group. Again, they're, they're very divisive because they believe something that, goes, that, that totally goes foreign to what, to what Paul preached. It goes totally foreign to what the Word of God teaches regarding salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary, his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, anything that they were preaching went against against that and ran contrary to that. And so it was a little very divisive group. And he said they would exclude you. And what they meant is they'll exclude you from the kingdom of God. If you get pulled off into their stuff and believe what they believe, you miss heaven, friends. You miss heaven, you believe it in works. There's no way to get to heaven. And listen, you think for one second we're going to get to heaven and stand before God and, and say, well, I trusted Jesus and this. God ain't going to let you in. You ain't going to stand there anyway. You'd never get there, amen? You don't get there and get disappointed at the door, amen? Listen, <clears throat> but what he's saying is you're going to miss the boat. If you're believing in your anything that you do is going to get you to heaven. So they're going to keep you. They're going to shut you out of heaven. And, uh, they're going to persuade you. They hope to persuade you that it's uncircumcised Gentiles that you're already shut out from it. They want to get them to the point where they believe, hey, you know, again, I don't line up with the law of Moses, so I must not be saved. So I've got to do this in order to be saved. And it was so wrong what they were doing to them. And he said they would exclude you that ye might affect them. Now, that phrase, that you might affect them, 
That means they want to they want to they want to pull you aside from God's people into the, their little specific group and convince you that you need to be circumcised like they are, and then become a zealous follower of them. They they actually wanted to exclude them from other Christians and bring them into their little super spiritual group of legalists. You ever get around those kind of people? Super spiritual? I mean, they're better than everybody else. They, there's, I'm not going to name any names, but I've been in some other denominational churches, and they thought that they were the only ones going to heaven because of what they did, their way they do things. And friend, that ain't, that ain't true. Amen? There's only one way, and that's Christ alone. The zeal cultivated by legalism. You get around somebody who, again, who, who thinks that works have anything to do with it. More often than not, their zeal is not for Christ. Their zeal is not for a love for Christ. Their zeal is for the group itself and the way they do things. And again, that they're the only ones or they're the only way. So again, they they wanted them to come out from 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 the truth and come into their little group and, and begin to uh, fall in with their practices. And even though these people named the name of Jesus, in, in, in practice, the group itself is exalted. The group is the main focus. And, and, and you know, again, this is it's kind of the last refuge for the super-Christians is, is we do this, and we do this different from y'all, and, and that, that's what makes us great is what we do. And so, again, Paul's trying to get them to understand that. It's, again, what has Christ done for you? What did Christ do for you versus what they want you to do for them? He's trying to get them to understand. Amen. It's just like it's just like a, a mom and a dad trying to explain to a teenager, look, we we love you. We've done all this for you. We've been here all your life, and now you want to run off and do something wrong with this kid over here. Ain't never done nothing for you. I heard that. <laughs> I, I, I when I run off my go off with my friends, I, I used to be told stuff like that. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna do nothing but hurt you. You got people here that love you, you won't listen to them. And that's how Paul felt. Amen. They might they they're gonna exclude you that you can help them. And and when he said exclude you, he means lock you up. Basically, he's going they're gonna put you back in bondage. They're gonna put you back under the chains of legalism, back under the law. And 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 so right now they're they're courting the Galatians. They're just trying to allure them in. But once they get them alienated from Jesus, and that's their point, and again, let me remind you, I have, I say friends, I'd have to say acquaintances now because we're not close anymore, but people I, I knew for years and years and years and years who who we, we talked about the Lord from time to time, and then they got into the Hebrew Messianic movement, and now they, again, it's all about Moses. It's all about the law of Moses. It's all about keeping feasts and festivals and all those things. And 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 I came I came at that friend of mine with the book of Galatians, actually with chapter three, where he where Paul said in chapter verse twenty nine, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. And I tried to explain to him that there's no difference between Jew or Greek when it when it comes to Christ. But he told me, oh no, Paul didn't know what he was talking about when he wrote that book of Galatians. You see. When you get chasing after 
legalism, you, your brain will fall out. It really will. You, you, your sense will go away. And, and because, again, they're, they're locking you up. It's like they've got you in prison to their thinking. And so, again, they're, they're, they're demanding that the, the, they're, they're demanding that the Galatians will serve them once they get them alienated from Jesus and Paul. Once they get them away from the idea of grace, free grace, and they'll get them under the idea of you got to do this and you got to do that, and they've got them then. They've got them bound up in that. And it's always some kind of religious bondage, no matter what kind of outfit it is. Legalism's always bondage. <clears throat> and and these Judaizers, they'd only give them portions of the law. They, they'd only give them enough to pique their interest. If they had been able to see all that they would have to do, it would have scared them to death. So, again, they're courting them little by little. Just You just need to do this. You just need to do that, and on and on. And, uh, you know, they, they, there, there were parts of Judaism that, that the, the Gentiles would have found completely repulsive, so they didn't give them those points. They They... They just got them maybe to, to see the festivals and the feast days and things of that nature. And, and then they got them to the point where it's like, oh, and by the way, y'all need to be circumcised as well. So, again, I can't fathom that. I can't, as a, as a grown man, fathom going in and having surgery so I can feel like I'm saved. But, again, that's what was happening. But he said, but it's it's good. Paul said, now hold on a minute. I don't want to kill your zeal. He said, but it's good to be zealously affected always in a good in a good thing. So Paul's not against zeal at all. He wants Christians to be zealous in a good thing always. And you know what? I want y'all to be zealous. I try to encourage you to be zealous as believers. If anything we have lost in Baptist churches, we have lost our zeal. We have lost the excitement of being a child of God. It's, it's, again, you know, you show up on Sunday morning, and sometimes it's like, well, something happened. Everybody seems so somber. We come into the house of the Lord to worship the God of heaven, the God of everything, the one who made us, the one who's died to save us. We ought to be full of joy. We ought to be celebrating being in his presence, yet we're so somber. Zeal. Zeal is a very important thing. But it's important to make sure our zeal is in a good thing because zeal in a bad thing is dangerous. Just ask Adolf Hitler. He had a lot of zeal, didn't he? Benito Mussolini had a lot of zeal. And some of these wicked people out there today, the George Soroses of this world and, and the Klaus Schwabs of this world, those who want to control all the people of the world, they got a lot of zeal too. But they're wicked as the devil himself. You know, having again, having zeal is good, but not in the wrong thing. And 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 they these Galatian Christians, I mean, they were impressed by the zeal of the legalists. They saw them. They said, "Man, you know, man, what they're so excited about what they believe, and they're so dogmatic about it." Well, you know, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses come by my house every now and then too. They're pretty, they're pretty faithful. They're pretty faithful. I see, I see Mormons on their bicycles riding down the streets in Paris. They're pretty faithful. They got a lot of zeal, but they got a wrong message. You can have all kinds of zeal and have the wrong message. It won't do you a bit of good. I mean, Paul knew what he was talking about here, you know. <clears throat> he, he, he said it's, it's good to be zealous, but only in a good faith. Zeal in the service of a lie is a dangerous thing. That's how we got Darwinism. Because somebody had zeal believing that we came from monkeys. 
believing that believing that an amoeba turned into a lizard and turned into you know y'all know the story. What was it? I just say once I was a once I was a tadpole log and fin, then I was a froggy with my tail tucked in, then I was a monkey swinging in a tree. Now I'm a professor with a PhD. I think that's how I went, but something like that. But again, Nazism it rose out of zeal, a zeal for a pure race. You know, that, again, that's what they they wanted. They wanted they, they they had bad intentions and they were dogmatic about it. So. You know, zeal is not good when it's in the wrong place. And Paul knew that because, you know, before he was a Christian, Paul had a lot of zeal, didn't he? Man, he was he he was he had so much zeal in, in Acts chapter seven verse fifty eight and following it said and he and he cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses lay down their that's Stephen, and the witnesses lay down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep or he died. And Saul was consenting to his death. That's Paul back then. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad. And I can go on through that. But anyway, Paul, Paul was zealous. Man, he, he, he's like, hey, y'all go ahead and kill him. I'll hold your coat. Go ahead. Get that sucker. I mean, he was excited about them killing a servant of God. He had zeal running out, running out of his pores, but it was the wrong kind of zeal. And later he looks back at that time when he had all that zeal in the service of a lie, and he deeply regretted what he did. 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He felt terrible about all the people he'd harmed. I mean, again, they were, they were scared of him after he got saved because, again, some of them had been persecuted by him. Maybe some of their, their relatives had, had been killed at his hand, and here he comes into the church wanting to preach to them. They didn't know what to think, again, because he had so much zeal. First Timothy 1.15, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, how did he feel like he was a chief of sinners? Because he had so much zeal that he was anti-God. And he tells them, he says, listen, he said it's good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I'm present with you. So he wanted them to be zealous for what's good even when he's absent, not only when he's there. And what had happened was they were zealous when he was there, but then when he left, it's like all their zeal ran out, and they were willing to latch on to the next thing coming down the road. In verse 19 and 20, we're going to close up with this. He changes his, his tone just a little. He says, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. <clears throat> I want to tell you something. I think few men on this earth have ever loved like the Apostle Paul does. We read these words and, 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 you know, we try to put ourselves in the moment. We try to consider where he was at and who he was talking to. But there's really no way we can feel what Paul was feeling unless we were there. He knew their faces. He knew their names. 
He knew their lives. He knew their children. He met them. He got to know them. He stayed there with them. He broke bread with them. He slept in their homes. He knew these people. He had a vested interest in them and their futures. They weren't just numbers. They weren't just names. They were real souls that he knew and he cared about. And his heart broke for them. And I'm going to tell you, any pastor who is worth anything, he loves his people, and he wants them to be blessed. He wants them to have a zeal for the Lord. He wants them to grow in their, in their understanding of who God is and his will for their life. Any, any preacher who just comes to, to read something off and, 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 and just get it over with and walk out and don't care the effect of it, that guy needs to go work at a restaurant somewhere or go to a lumberyard. He needs to get out of the ministry. Because listen to me, when you preach the truth, you want the truth to land where it's supposed to land. You want the truth to adhere to where it's supposed to land. And you want it to grow from there. You want it to bear fruit in a person's life. There ain't a single one of you in here this morning under the sound of my voice that I don't want to see you blessed. I want to see every one of you blessed. I want to see every one of you thriving. I want to see not only you thrive, I want to see I want to see your life bearing fruit in the lives of others. I want to see other people coming in the door with you that you personally won to Jesus Christ and you're bringing them here with you. That's what I that's what my heart's desire is. My heart, I'm just being honest with you this morning. My heart's desire is not that you miss church. My heart's desire is not that you get distant from God. Oh, no. My heart's desire is not that some some slick somebody come along and, and talk you into joining up with somebody else. I remember years ago when we were in Paris, I, I had a guy that lived right, next, right behind the church. He had a windshield, uh, a window glass business. And a good guy, I saw him. Matter of fact, I saw him about a month ago in, in Brookshire's. And we had a nice little exchange. He came real faithfully, rode motorcycles and stuff, and he, he just he kinda he kind of a loner a little bit. But he, he, he went into business with this this man. He he told me about it on Sunday night. We were having a men's little, little men's Bible study before evening service and we were talking, he said, Yeah, I'm going into business with this guy. I said, Oh yeah? He said, Yeah, he goes to the Lamar Avenue Church of Christ. I said, he's Church of Christ? He said, yeah. I said, well, you you probably ought not go in business with him. Why? Well, the Bible, the Bible talks about us being an unequal yoke. I said, and, and according to what the Church of Christ believes, they believe that you're saved by asking Jesus to save you and being baptized. Now, that's their doctrine. You, in order, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to attack anybody this morning, but I'm telling you that they believe that, first of all, that it has to be, you have to be saved by, by a church of Christ preacher. It has to be happening in a church of Christ. You have to be baptized in a church of Christ. Otherwise, you're not saved. Now, I warned him against that. I told him, I said, if you go into business with him, you better watch out or you'll wind up in the third Lamar Avenue Church of Christ. He all, 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 that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. Within a month, he was a member. Within a month, he was a member. Why do I tell you that? Because it can happen that quick. If somebody's not grounded in the Word of God, somebody comes and persuades them to, to leave the truth, and they're mixed up like a termite in a yo-yo from then on. So Paul is writing to him, and his heart's breaking for them. He says, my little children. 
he said, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not somebody courting you come into something new. I'm like a daddy talking to his kids, okay? I'm not somebody trying to get you to come hang out. I'm, t- I'm saying, I, I'm the one who brought you into this family. See, and he says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. I remember, I remember when, when, when Jackson got a job over at Domino's in Paris and he was coming home, he was like, yeah, my manager Rick said this, and my manager Rick said that, and, and you know, I'm, I'm really going to, I like what he said, I'm going to do that. I said, I said, who is Rick? Oh, he's my, he's my assistant manager up at Domino's. I said, so you got a daddy who's loved you and took care of you your whole life, and you won't listen to me for anything, but yet you're going to listen to Rick. Boy, it made me, it made me mad. I said, who is Rick? And what has he ever done for you that you listen to him over your own daddy? And I'm like, that's how Paul was feeling. Who are these guys? I brought you into the family of God. Listen, I'm the one who risked life and limb and got my face bashed in with rocks and died on the side of the road before I ever even got to you. And God had to raise me up from the dead to get to you. I came to you all mangled and beat up. Y'all didn't, that didn't bother you. I went through, he literally, he went through hell on earth to get them Jesus. Do you realize that? And his heart's broken because they just like, oh, no big deal. Walked away like it wasn't nothing. So his, his daddy heart is breaking. He, he rightly considers himself to be a father to them. And yet this has made him feel like he's got to bring them to Jesus all over again. Remember he said, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you? Like, I've got I to gotta go through the whole birth process again with you. That's what he's saying. He, he, he knew that his work of forming Christ in them was not complete until they stayed put in the position of trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. You're not saved until you're, until like the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Neighbor, if you think you have anything to do with your salvation, you don't have your salvation. Because it's in Christ alone. It's not in you and Jesus. It's not in you and the church. It's not Jesus and the church. It's Jesus. Ain't nothing else. Christ has the power to save. Nothing else can. That's why the songwriter said, I dare not touch I trust the sweetest frame. It might look like it can hold me up. No, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. All of the ground is sinking sand. <clears throat> the idea of of Christ formed in you. It's kind of it's it's very similar to to Romans eight twenty nine, which said, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That, that, that's what we're talking about, conformed to that. Listen, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we come to Christ, Christ lives in us and lives through us and out of us. Amen? We can't help but be different than we were before. If there's no difference in you since you got saved, check your salvation. Make sure you trust it in the right thing. Because unless when Jesus comes in, there's going to be something take place. 
Now, does it take some time sometimes for it, for it to take root and for it to really grow? Yes, I say that happened. It happened with me. It happened with me. I, uh, you know, again, I was seven years old in, in, in Buckner Baptist Church and Shirley Simpson sharing Jesus with me every Sunday before Sunday school before the bell rang. And and yeah, I got I got saved in my bedroom and trusted Jesus. But I didn't learn how to grow right until I got older. I believed him. I trusted him. But I didn't really understand everything until I got grown. Well, these people didn't get it. People didn't get it. You know, again, I'm going to say this. You might say, well, well did, you, did you have to get saved later on? No, I didn't get saved later on. I'm going to tell you why. Because even through my years of backsliding, if you had pinpointed me, hold me up and said, what are you trusting to get you to heaven? I'd have told you the truth. I'd have told you. I'd have told you the same thing that I told that guy sitting on a bar stool in Nashville, Tennessee, when I was sitting there drinking in the bar, and I told him who had lost his wife in an automobile accident in, uh, to a drunk driver, don't blame God. That's God's fault. That man drank before he got behind the wheel of that automobile. It, listen, Jesus, Jesus loves you. I've witnessed to him. I witnessed to people under the influence of drugs and during my drug years. I've I told people about Jesus even though my life was in, in a mess. When it's in you, it's going to come out of you. But you see, he wants them to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Now, I said that it would be wrong for Paul to try to conform them into his own image. But you know what? There's a lot of preachers who try to do that. They try to conform their crowd into their image. They want the crowd to be just like them. I never forget. I was in Bible college, and, and I, I was listening to two preachers talking out in the hallway at the service, and I and I heard and I heard Brother Gary Sables, who was a Bible college student at the time, say to another man, he said, I want a double portion of Dr. Gray's spirit. I thought, man. Boy, I, I I get the reference. What Elisha said about Elijah, I get that. I don't want I don't want to be like nobody else. I want to be who God wants me to be. I don't want to I don't want to try to I don't want to try to to, to be just like some other man somewhere. No, I want to be. I want God to live in me, not somebody else's idea. What Paul sought to do was not to make them like him; it was to make them like Christ. And so he says to them, "He says, my little children." So he's using this metaphor to give a powerful picture, referring to them as the little children. He said, "I prevail in birth, it's like a mother in the pain of labor until she gives birth to her child." And Paul, Paul likens himself to a mother who gave spiritual birth to these Galatians, these little children, he calls them. He said, I prevail in birth again. Something unusual has happened here. These, these Galatian Christians are drifting away from Jesus, and they're drifting to the law. So Paul is in labor in birth again. And it's unnatural to have labor pains a second time. I don't know of any woman who had a child, and she goes into labor again after she has her child. That don't make sense. But Paul is saying, I'm like, it's like I'm in labor all over again with y'all. You know, I was wrestling with y'all, trying to get y'all into the family of God, and now it feels like I'm doing it all over again. Now, is that to say people can get saved again? No. But I can tell you this, they had wandered 
And Paul was trying to get them back centered on what they believed initially. <clears throat> Again, he, he, he calls them labor pains until Christ is formed in them. And he's going to keep on laboring. He's not going to give up. Even as painful as it is, even as much as it hurts him until Jesus is formed in them because he's not going to quit. As a preacher, you preach the word of God. It falls from your lips. It enters into the hearts of the hearer. And then the Holy Ghost of God takes the word of God. And he takes it and he drives it and implants it into the heart so that it brings forth the fruit of faith. And in this way, every, every Christian witness or every preacher is a spiritual father who forms Christ in the heart of the hearer. Again, I, I didn't do it, but I, but I was the one who was there when it happened. And, and Paul compares his pain to the pains of childbirth. And he'd been in labor over them before when they got saved, but again, when they were spiritually born. But now their backsliding has caused him another round of labor. And he said, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. Because they called him, they, they, they thought of him as an enemy. Or at least he feels that way. And he says, you know, I don't want to have to chew you out. I don't want to have to fuss at you like this. I want to come to you and change my voice. In other words, I want to come to you and look you in the eye and soften my tone and speak to you as, as man to man, heart to heart. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I, I want to be there with you, first of all. That's the main thing. I, I, I don't want to be writing a letter. I want to be there where I can look at you. And, and he also wished he didn't have to speak to him in such strong words. Again, that he could change his tone. But, but the fact of the matter is their danger of leaving the true gospel has caused him to stress and caused him to use these strong words and left him with a situation that he absolutely has to address, and he has to do it in a, in a quick manner. He can't let this go on. And this passage it shows us two things. We're going to let go to the house. It shows us, first of all, the principles for the attitude of people in the church to have toward their pastor. Three thoughts on this. The attitude of the people in church must not be determined by the pastor's personal appearance or his personality. I hope y'all don't dislike me. I'm hoping. Amen. I know some of you probably wish I'd take a scissors in this beard, but I'm not going to. But that's okay. Amen. But but that ought not you know that ought not say well I'm never going go back to hear him I don't like the way he looks I don't like that he don't wear a coat when he preaches I, I, I he 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 got a long beard I, I wouldn't go back to hear him again you ought not let that kind of stuff determine who you listen to he said well I, I just don't like the, I just don't like his personality are you here uh, when you go to church do you go to church because of a preacher's personality or do you go to church because of the word of God. It ought to be the word, amen? Bear with me while I give you the truth, amen? I'm just a man. I got limitations and all kinds of hang-ups and you know, all kinds of problems, amen? Pray for me. If, you, if something about me irritates you, pray for me, amen? Because I want to I want to be what God wants me to be. And the second thing about it is, is, a, is a church member's attitude ought not be determined by their own personal foot whims. You say, well, I just, I just don't agree with you on this. So that determines it. I don't listen to anything else you've got to say. I thank God 
some of you in here, I know, I know everybody don't agree with me on every single last detail. You know, uh, Miss Bonnie's husband Grant, me and him totally disagreed on on when Jesus was coming back. But you know what? We put that aside, love one another in the Lord, and didn't let that become a hindrance. Amen. You know, and and again, it don't affect grace one bit. That was the determination we came to. So if it don't affect grace one bit, there's no sense in us arguing about. It. Amen. So again, some people they let anything keep them from hearing what God has to say, and their their attitude. When you come to church, your attitude ought to be determined by your loyalty to the Word of God, and that's it. I mean, because, again, that's what church is all about. It's, about. it's about the Word of God. It's about us knowing what God said and what He wants us to do, what His will is for us. And not only does it show principles for the people in the church, but it also it shows principles for the attitude of the pastor toward his people. I'm going to give you these one over the house. Pastor must be willing to serve and sacrifice for his people. Amen. And I love y'all. And there ain't nothing. If you ask me, there ain't nothing that I wouldn't do for you. And the second thing about a pastor, the pastor has got to tell his people the truth. Amen. And I'm gonna tell you the truth, even if you don't like it. I'm gonna tell you the truth, even if you don't agree with me. Because the truth's the truth. Amen. <clears throat> And the pastor, he must love his people deeply, not with a selfish motive. And he must desire to see more than excitement in his people. I mean, listen, if I wanted to, I mean, I guess I could come in here and get messages, get everybody pumped up and shouting and jumping up and down and everything. But I want more than that. I want you to leave here and say, hey, we've got a mission to accomplish. I want you to have some zeal in you. I want you to realize, hey, this ain't just something general he's speaking. He was speaking specifically to me. God was speaking specifically to me. God is interested in my zeal level. God is interested in how much I love him being exhibited by what I do. I can promise you, if you love someone, they will know it. Amen? Because if you love someone, you will show it. That's why I said I worry about our lack of zeal. <clears throat> you know, excitement is good, but zeal is what's important. You know, there's so many there's so many churches today, and they got lots of excitement, but they got no zeal. They like somebody getting a brand new tractor and just driving around the yard on. Oh, that, ain't, that ain't impressive. Show me what it'll do. Plow some ground. Break up something. Show me what that thing's made for. Amen? It ain't made to drive around all the grandkids on. It's made to, to farm with. You know, and Christians, well, we're just, we're just kind of like show dogs, some of us. We just press around, and we don't ever do anything. We don't really guard anything. We don't really help. We just kind of press around. I'm, I, I need to hush. Y'all ready to go to the house? I'm, I'm nitpicking now. Amen? But anyway, my point is, my my desire as your preacher is not to form me in you. My desire as your preacher is to form Jesus in you. Amen? That was Paul's desire, and that's my desire. And what I hope your desire is, is a desire to have Jesus live in you. Amen? Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart this morning about something, I urge you to come and do business with him. These altars are open. You're welcome to come and pray.
If you need me to pray with you, I'll be glad to pray with you. Whatever your need is, if you just want to sit down in the pew right where you're at and pray, you're more than welcome to do that as well. If God's dealing with somebody this morning about their soul, would you come and do business with God before it's too late? We're going to sing number 65 in just a moment. We're going to do the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for church. I thank you for your people. I thank you for those who have come to your house. Lord God, I pray the Holy Spirit of God that you stir around our hearts, that you do a work in us this morning. Lord, that you put your finger on, on, on what's wrong with me, what's wrong with them, what's wrong with each one of us. And Lord, the, the, the thing that offends the Lord the most pointed out to us that we might come and repent and get right with you. Lord, that you might be pleased with Lord God, I just pray, God, that you bless this invitation. Do a work in hearts now. And we'll thank you and give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. you being here. Amen. <clears throat> Don't forget tonight, be back here at 6 o'clock. I'm starting into something new tonight. We'll tell you ahead of time. We're going to take a fresh look at the book of Genesis. And when I say a fresh look, here's what I mean. We live in a world that is dominated by a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, hocus-pocus science that's throated us, and it affects our thinking. It affects the, thing, the things that the, that the world tells us, can, can somehow distort what we've read in the Word of God. And I want us to look at what the Bible says and what uh, literally versus what science says. And I want us to compare. And, you know, God's going to be right every time. Amen? But I don't want to just look at the first two or three verses and say, well, what, this is what I see based on that. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture and see we're going we're gonna to look at other places where God describes what he did and see what all's there. And you're going to find some fascinating things in the Word of God that you didn't even know were there. It's amazing what you find when you look. Amen? 
been good to be with you. Is there any word from anybody before we dismiss this morning? Well, we're going to keep praying for Scott, keep him in our prayers, and uh, keep lifting up all the rest of the prayer requests that were made mention of this morning. And come back tonight. Be here tonight at 6. Amen? All right. Well, glory to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's be dismissed, and I hopefully will see you back here tonight. All right. Let's see who we're going to call. Robert dismisses.
Oh, is it still in, is it still on? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, how do I turn it on? Oh, I push the red button. 